Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hi, it's Demetrius. Hey, Demetrius, it's Mark. They're in. Nice. Taking it to the next level. Launching phase two of Gable Media on October 7th. 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 My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 342, Christopher Alexander's Legacy at Building Beauty. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Susan Ingham, Chris Andrews, and Maggie Alexander, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Hi. It's great to be here. It is great to have you all here. This is very exciting for me, Uh, and I'm sure this will be very interesting to many architects who are listening to this. But before we jump into our topic, let's just introduce our guests here. Susan Ingham is a licensed architect practicing in Seattle, Washington. Her firm, Casa Architecture, was founded in 2004 and specializes in residential design. Susan obtained both her bachelor's and master's degree in architecture from the University of California, Berkeley, where she studied and worked intensively with Christopher Alexander and his colleagues. In 2017, Susan became uh, became a founding faculty member of the Building Beauty Program, which is what we're gonna talk about today. Um, That's a postgraduate architecture program located in Sorrento, Italy. Based on the principles expressed in Christopher Alexander's The Nature of Order, the Building Beauty program is a hands-on approach to architecture that integrates the designing and making of things ranging in scale from individual ceramic tiles to garden structures, houses, streets, neighborhoods, and cities. So everything it talks about designing the world around us. Uh, We will be diving deep into that 
that program and what Building Beauty is in just a minute. Um, Christopher Andrews is also with us. He is a licensed architect in uh, the state of California. He serves on Oakland's Landmark Preservation Advisory Board and is an adjunct instructor at the University of San Francisco's Architecture and Community Design Program, where as well as uh, a founding member of the Building Beauty faculty. Uh, Maggie Moore Alexander is a co-founder of Building Beauty and the president of the Center of uh, Center for Environmental Structure, CES. Since 2002, she has worked with Christopher Alexander as editor and collaborator on projects, books, and papers. CES was established by Alexander in, two, uh, in 1967 as a nonprofit educational institution in California. It has offered professionals, academics, and students the opportunity to delve into profound research in the nature and qualities of architecture and concurrently see the results manifested in actual buildings and projects designed and built worldwide. CES is currently developing the Christopher Alexander Center for Environmental Structure Archive in Berkeley, California. That was a long introduction, but that gets to the heart of everything that we're talking about here, right? This is this is going to be a, um, an episode about building beauty, uh, which is inspired um, and and started by the three of you and Christopher Alexander. So before we before we even get started with any any of that, Susan, could you for the people who may not know, um, can you start off by introducing Christopher Alexander, who is the common link for all you do and the work that you're doing? For for me, before you do that, but for me. Uh, Christopher, I, I learned about Christopher Alexander in architecture school through his book, The Pattern Language, A Pattern Language, which is still a resource and a reference for me. Every time I'm trying to solve a problem or need some ins inspiration in architecture, I go grab that book because it is a book that, that helps solve problems. It helps inspire architects and any, really, any sort of design. Um, so for, for anybody who doesn't know, can you explain who Christopher Alexander is and why he's significant in our world? Yes, I'd be glad to, Mark. Uh, Christopher Alexander uh, was actually um, not educated as an architect to start with. He uh, trained in mathematics at um, the University of Cambridge in the UK. He grew up in the UK. And um, he, uh, but he was always interested in the environment and he ended up coming, I think, over to the US and did his PhD work at Harvard. Um, looking at this question of quality in the built environment. And his main question was, why are all these traditional places, um, why, do they, why are they, um, uh, there's a different, difference in quality between those places and some of the modern architecture that was being created in the mid uh, 20th century at that time, the whole modernism movement. And, Chris um, was trying to figure out what the difference was. Why did these traditional places feel so much better, warmer, more comfortable, um, and versus the the more modern places that tended to feel cold uh, and kind of alienating, um, not so comfortable places? And that was the basis for his PhD work. Um, he came to Berkeley. I believe in the 60s and uh, was a, a professor. Um, his PhD actually got uh, quite a bit of press. It became a book, his first book, which is called Notes on a Synthesis of Form. And then uh, he came to Berkeley after gaining some notoriety with this book uh, and, and became a, a professor there, uh, which he, he stayed at Berkeley for, for several decades at that point. Um, during the 60s, he continued to ask this question, these questions about why are, what makes a good environment? What makes an environment where we feel at home or comfortable? And uh, he began a series of papers and books. Um, in the 70s, he started publishing many of these um, ideas in a series of books. Uh, a Pattern Language is the best known of these. And it is a collection of, I think, 253 patterns that basically try to solve uh, environmental problems. So um, his group of people who were helping him at the Center for Environmental Structure, they were really looking at 
what makes, what, what can solve a problem um, in the environment. And so these were very kind of functional solutions. So an example might be, um, there's a pattern called entrance transition, which says that it's much nicer if you transition from the outside to the inside, if you go through a covered porch or uh, um, you come up some stairs or you don't just go from outside to inside with one door, that that's less comfortable. Um, and another one is uh, light on two sides of every room. So whenever you can, we wanna try and have windows on two sides of every room because that creates less glare, it creates a more comfortable place. So this, this book was really um, his way of putting out there some of the problems in the environment and then offering solutions to that. Later on, he started um, actually building work. Uh, a Pattern Language became very uh, famous book. It's one of the, I believe it's one of the most widely published books in architecture and it is still in publication today. Um, but he, uh, he noticed that when people would be building things with a pattern language, sometimes they'd pick and choose some patterns to use and the result still wouldn't be quite where he thought it should be. So um, he continued his research and uh, started building himself and, and built quite a number of buildings in his career. Um, and then the net, but the next series of books were kind of his uh, magnum opus, one can say. It's a series of books called The Nature of Order. And in that set, he, he not only was looking at the functional problems of the environment, but the geometrical nature of it. So what about these environments in terms of their shape or their um, configuration? led to something that was more pleasing versus less pleasing. And that's where he connected to this idea of beauty uh, and that creating beauty is really kind of the main goal of what we as architects should be doing. So that's uh, kind of a quick uh, introduction to, to Christopher Alexander. He's um, certainly has written many books and uh, has built many buildings and um, has ver been very much inspiring to me, of course, as well. Yeah, very inspiring. And, and it's so interesting, the work that he has done. I mean, th I think uh, human beings innately feel much of what he's documented, right? He, he has sort of uh, decoded our, our environment, both the natural environment and the building environment, and has documented it in a way that regular normal people can understand right you can read a pattern language and it's really easy to understand and it and it makes sense um, and then you start looking at the world around you differently so oh, look at that there's a pattern there's another pattern and that's why i feel the way i feel when i walk into this room i feel you know you see it every day on hgtv people will walk in with those shows where they're doing the house hunters or whatever and they walk in and they say oh i like this bright and airy room well there's a reason you like this quote unquote bright and airy room this because it has light on two sides or you you know the the door is in a certain position um, and that's all from you know uh, uh, the patterns of our built and natural environment so um, very significant work very significant person so where where was the inspiration Maggie where was the inspiration for the building beauty program so it came from uh, the the what is the name of the book the order of the nature, nature of order the nature of order, right? That was where the program has been inspired from, from the work in that book. Um, what, tell us more about the program. Exactly. What is it and why was it founded? Um, the nature of order had been out uh, quite a while because we started talking about this in late 2016 and the nature of order was first published in 2002 to 2005. And one of our colleagues, Sergio Porta, came to visit Chris and me and said, we have a chance to start a new program in Italy, which is a place in Southern Italy, which is a place where beauty abounds. And we could be in the center of a place that teaches everything Chris has said is important just by being there and, uh, and use his teaching model, which uh, Susan and Chris enjoyed along with many others, uh, and make this dream come true again. 
do you want to? <laughs> so Chris and I said, well, yeah. <laughs> Southern Italy? No, I don't, we don't want to go there. <laughs> and that started our adventure. Then we scurried to find Chris and Susan and several other colleagues who helped us build the program. And we began the fall of 2017. So we've been at it a few years. And uh, this year, we're offering the program online due to most people's inability to travel um, with the pandemic. So uh, we're reinventing it again, and we're um, moving forward in what I think is gets more exciting all the time. So it's a postgraduate architecture program based in Sorrento, Italy, based on Christopher Alexander's teachings, right? That's essentially what it is? Um, it, that's the, the core of it, but we get into the work yep. of many others and, and we're finding more and more that the work of many others is related to what was important to Chris and what he talked about in the nature order. So we're making those connections and building an international community. Um, our students come from different parts of the world and we want that community to grow, especially now, this is personally important to me that we are able to help people recover their communities and build settlements and uh, find comfortable ways to live regardless of uh, the difficulties people are facing for who knows how long. Yeah. So um, it, it's become more poignant for me personally. I'm not an architect, so I'm, uh, I've been working with Chris since 2002 in various roles, but I really depend on my architect colleagues to guide the way with the actual building and uh, working directly with students to support them in what they want to build. Yeah, very uh, important time right now for our environment, right? And, and we're going to have to do a lot of rebuilding, both societally yes. as well as physically. Um, and how that the environment gets rebuilt is we have an opportunity to, to do it in a yes. new way way and in a, in a way that's more successful not only in the architecture of it but how it affects the people living in and around it um, and that's very yes. much based in uh, Christopher's work um, Chris the as a founding member uh, of the program can you talk a little bit about how the faculty was put together and, and how that works now sure um, yeah I, I just can I just want to just take a little yeah side. yeah absolutely sure here you had mentioned earlier about uh, origin stories and I just want to very quickly talk about my own uh, I would love that don't don't brush through it okay so it's it's pretty brief I was a freshman at uh, the Rhode Island School of Design in 1977 uh, in, in fact pattern language had just come out and um, I was roaming through the, the library there, trying to find books on architecture that spoke to me because I was a little confused by what my professors were talking about because they were mostly having us look at modern buildings. And I just, I, I was in Providence, Rhode Island in, a, in an area of Providence that where there's a lot of traditional buildings. And I couldn't reconcile the fact that all these wonderful traditional buildings were all around me. And that whenever I looked at the modern buildings, they looked kind of awful. And yet my professors were telling me that I should be paying attention to the modern buildings. Yeah. And so I was trying to, I, I was trying to find an alternative to what my professors were talking about. So I'm roaming through the library at Rhode Island School of Design. And uh, I started I, you know, in the monographs section of, for architects, and I found Alexander's book completely accidentally. And I opened it and I started looking through it. And it, it's obviously it's a it's an actually beautifully designed book. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that's kind of striking about it. It has. Are you are you're talking pattern. about a pattern language? A pattern language. Yep. And I just started reading it, and I just was touched immediately by the photographs. And by the simple kind of soundbite statements that open each pattern, yeah, and uh, by the design of the entire book, and I, I just, I just took the book out of the library and I just read it cover to cover, and yeah. you know, so this is this is how we're. I think we all are introduced to this work in some way. 
we find that there's something that's not quite working in the way that we have been taught to approach the environment. And then we come across this work that speaks to us in a much deeper way. And so I, I think that, you know, the way that all of us have come together, uh, Susan, Maggie, myself, and all of the folks who are involved in uh, Building Beauty and some of the other uh, consortiums of folks who have been trying to continue this work forward has been very organic. I mean, the way we met Sergio, he was attending a conference in San Francisco and he started talking to me about he, he wanted to start this school and so forth and so on. And I said, oh, you have to meet Yodan. And I introduced him to Yodan. And then, to, and then through that, I think he'd already been in conversations with Maggie, perhaps. But, you know, all of us met in this kind of organic way, uh, you know, and, and, and things are obviously continuing to happen in this way. I think what's really exciting about what's moving forward with what we're doing now is we see a tremendous opportunity in what's going on in the world this fact that we've actually been forced to interact with each other through, uh, you know, the virtual world of, 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 of podcasts and, you know, Zoom and all of that actually presents a tremendous opportunity to us to expand what we're doing. Even though being in Sorrento in this beautiful Italian town was fantastic, in some ways this, this is offering new possibilities for ways for us to expand this work. And so I just, some of this is actually uh, foreshadowed in the very structure of a pattern language. I think a lot of architects took a pattern language as, oh, a way to solve some problems. Oh, the problem of a porch or the problem of, you know, uh, a, a backyard or right, something. Like a prescription. Really, a prescription, not really understanding that the, the actual, one of the really important things about that book was the overall structure of the book, that all of these patterns are linked to each other in a very uh, specific and kind of almost geometric way. And that, if, that we have to look at the entire environment at all levels of scale, from the, le the scale of the city to the scale of a, a piece of trim on a door in this linkage. And that's something that I think really was, was actually the most revolutionary thing about that book, because lots of architects were trying to solve individual problems in the environment. That's not, that, that was not a, especially in the 1960s with design theories, that was a, that was a very uh, rich topic that was being explored. But this overall linkage is something that I think Chris and his colleagues really began to see in terms of, uh, you know, some, some computer uh, theoreticians have called pattern language, the first hyperlinked text. Right. Yeah. I read that because I, I was doing a little research before our call. And, and the first one of the first things in Wikipedia, it says in software, Alexander is regarded as the father of the pattern language movement. The first wiki, the technology behind Wikipedia led directly from Alexander's work, according to its creator, Ward Cunningham, which I thought was really interesting that it's not you know, like exactly what you're saying, Chris, is that that it's not a book of prescriptions, right? You don't just go in there and say, how do I design a good porch or how do I make the house look better? It's about designing an entire environment, right? Our entire society can be built through these patterns. And and when it is, they all start to work together and they all start to become much more successful because from the trim to the, the, the patterns of the streets, all of it is linked. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, Arcat.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit rcat.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and RCAT 
will deliver. That's rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. rcat.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. And make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. I think another interesting thing, just looking at the history of a pattern language, the book, uh, Murray Silverstein told me that one of the intentions when they had first published the book was that it really be widely disseminated. And they actually designed it in such a way that when you open the book, it fit on a Xerox machine. So you could you could actually Xerox the book. Yeah, that's exactly. Very easily. It was not it was not meant to be something that had to be uh, purchased. You could act. It was actually it was there was a, also another, I don't know if you remember a book in the 1960s by Abby Hoffman called Steal This Book. I know Does the name. Remember that? Okay, I've heard the so name. The, Okay, I mean it's a funny title, of course, because because the book actually did get stolen a lot in bookstores <laughs> by you know by by young revolutionary. They told me to but steal think, it. Like, they told me to steal it. Says right on the cover. But I think you know pattern language was actually part of that movement. The word architect is never mentioned in pattern language. Well, that's interesting. I never realized that. It is. It is. It is a very unique book physically um that, that it's it's proportionally small it's almost the size of a sort of a pocket paperback but it's about four inches thick <laughs> right and it's and it's you know and, and it's got a very specific look to it and i never knew that that was intentional in order to be able to copy it that it was intentionally intended to sort of photocopy and today it becomes you know pdfs and emails and websites and you know any way that we can share the knowledge that we have, which is, a, which is a very important theme in this podcast. And the Entree Architect community is sharing our knowledge, you know, from, from the, the architecture, uh, that you're talking about through the business side of architecture by sharing everything we know, we all get better, right? The whole system gets better by sharing each of what we know. And so, um, Chris, you, you talked about how the the program is shifting and is actually being almost improved or the the reach of it is improved through the the necessity of going virtual can you talk about a little bit how the program will be um uh, facilitated through through a virtual world well i i'd like to defer to maggie on this okay. because i'm yep. not really so involved with the details of that i, I just wanted to put out that out there as something that we're really working hard on, and we hope to to, to continue to attract uh, students and uh, other professionals to help us with that. 
So what do you, what's the difference, Maggie? How, can you explain the way it was prior and what's different now? Yes. Um, the core of the course is about building, making, and going from small to uh, larger levels of scale. And uh, in Sorrento, finally building a project in the large garden there that has needed a lot of repair. So our first uh, class did uh, a lot of work to uh, investigate the whole garden um, and a, a garden meaning uh, part of it is used to grow fruits and vegetables but it's also open space and play space and uh, should be a place where students can go outside and study together and so forth it's uh, it's quite a large area but it was hardly used so uh, they worked our students worked with staff and uh, uh, other people who were there studying and each other and learned how to interview for what would this place be if it was really wonderful for us. And throughout the year, they developed materials which are on our website. And uh, in the end, they built a project and then, and then classes followed them and did the same. Now we are uh, thinking about and planning for working with students where they live. In other words, they can build a project at home. And um, this is really important to us. We never would have considered it without the pandemic, but it turns out it's really important to us. Yeah, that's such a great because, idea. Because we would be able to have little, little places that begin to grow and um, and have people, we have people in various parts of the world who can provide assistance. They can, uh, each student can find the assistance they need and we can support them with mentors and experience of um, many, many years of building. Chris, I had no idea you started in 1977. Uh, <laughs> so our staff is really well prepared for this. If I, probably I'm the best person to say that. Um, and, and it's exciting to think that we can help people in their communities, in their homes, what, whatever is um, in most need of repair or uh, building where they live and they don't have to leave. Our students in Sorrento had a marvelous time together and, and leave a legacy that we will continue when we can get back there, uh, but they had to leave. So this is a different dynamic, and uh, um, I hope it's going to support all of us in the decisions we have to make these days and help us feel more stable with where we hang out and in our communities. Because when people are building projects at home, they have families, they have neighbors, there are other people who will be interested in what they're right. doing community can form around it, which is very, very much a part of what we do. So um, it's, it's a surprise and it's challenging, but that's what we're going to launch. Yeah. That's we're, we're offering only the core program because uh, that seems like a big enough challenge in this day and age. And then when we can, we'll return to the whole postgraduate diploma. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. If anybody's interested in learning more about it, it's buildingbeauty.org. You can go learn all about how to become involved in that. I, as, you're, as you were describing that, Maggie, I imagined sort of a tree where the, the trunk of the tree and the roots of the tree are in Sorrento. And these branches are now expanding out throughout the world and dropping little seeds all over the world where these little seeds will then grow into its own little satellites from what's happening in Sorrento and what Christopher started so many years ago. Oh, I hope so. I really, really hope so. Yeah, it's it's exciting. So, so what what is the the long term vision? Because now this is sort of a new direction, which will probably blossom into something more permanent. Because it sounds like it's it's something that you did because you had to. But there's certainly opportunities here. So this, I imagine that this becomes sort of a permanent piece of it. Um, what is the long term vision for Building Beauty? What's the intent? Well, we do intend to go back to Sorrento. We have business there. <laughs> we started something that's quite wonderful and we want to continue and it really is a marvelous place to learn. But not all of our students can afford it. And um, we have to be thinking about people in other countries that are not so fortunate. 
as those in the West and how to uh, be facile, I think, moving from one to the next. We do our best to uh, provide scholarships for students, but even that is difficult now. So um, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think we've had a conversation about uh, this is a staff, but I wouldn't be surprised if we go back to Sorrento and we also find ways to stay connected to people in their local environments. And um, that would make me happy. Yeah, it's such it's such an opportunity to be able to because when it's only based in one place, it's wonderful. right? And those people go there and they learn and they go back to their homes and they can sort of plant those seeds uh, through that. But to have the program sort of become uh, integrated with the world you know, yes. through video and through the, 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 the teaching um, and actively planting seeds would be really, really interesting to see how that uh, ends up, you know, where, where, what those seeds become. Because some of those seeds can become pr probably pretty significant uh, pieces of the program in the future, yes. either, either as examples or even potentially learning opportunities. Well, in fact, our alumni are placed in different parts of the world now and can help us with the rollout of this, we have uh, we have advisory boards that are a big one in the United States and uh, in other parts of the world that can provide our students with support. So it turns out we've already built a community that can provide an amazing amount of support, uh, working very personally with each student. Is the intent, and anybody can answer this, is the intent of the program to stay small and focused or is the intent to get out and become grow as big as they can and to impact as many people as possible? Well, I'll start. <laughs> um, we will never stray away from the very, very personal connection we have with every student, every staff member, every person who has been involved with Building Beauty to provide um, uh, curriculum support or uh, craft support. Or it, it's a growing community with a tremendous heart. So we never want to let go of that. At the same time, we, we want it to be uh, cross-cultural. We want it to be cross-disciplinary. Chris's vision of his work was very, very broad, broader than most people can entertain. And there are people in many different disciplines, you've already mentioned one in the computer industry, who have taken his work and taken it on. So there's a whole lot of learning to be done in connection with folks in different disciplines that will strengthen the program as well. So in the future, we could offer uh, different degrees, or I, I don't know. But it's, not, I, it's hard to imagine it staying small, but it will never lose its very personal connection to everyone who is involved. So the core will remain, but potentially it can, can grow beyond what it is today in order to, like you said, it, the, the, the work that Christopher has done has grown into all of our world in many different ways. And so this, this can do very similar things, all based within the core values of what Christopher had, has developed. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Does uh, you have something to add to that? Well, I, I have a, just a comment about uh, a little bit more detail about the program. Um, it's a little bit different than a typical design program in that one thing that Christopher Alexander realized through the, his work in um, the Nature of Order books that he put out was that it's not enough to just design something, but there's an integration of design, designing and making, or designing and construction, that starts on the very first day. So it's not, it's, the program is not based on, oh, I'm gonna make some sketches and then I'm gonna build it. It's much more integrated, where on the first day, there may be um, sketches or drawings, but there's also maybe somebody's doing some stakeouts on a site at one-to-one -one scale. Um, and there's even design that happens during construction. Um, Chris was always known for framing up a building first and then figuring out exactly how big and where the windows would be placed after framing has been done. So he would put up, you know, sheets of paper and then cut holes in them so he could really gauge what the quality of light would be in that space. 
Now that's, you know, there's some practical aspects to that that sometimes don't work in a lot of projects, but this idea of integrating design and construction as you go at every point is something that's really crucial to the Building Beauty program. And so we start out usually with very small projects, um, making a tile, for example, that becomes one part of a greater whole, um, and uh, making a piece of furniture, for example. And then we go up to the bigger project of, in this case, this year it will be everyone will have a chance to do something in their own home or their own community. Uh, but it's this idea, again, of, of blurring those boundaries between designing and making. We do a lot of tests along the way, a lot of full-scale mock-ups to test what we're, we're drawing. Usually the site plan is done by, we'll do a stakeout of the building volumes to make sure they feel right. And then the drawing is just becomes a recording of that stakeout. It's not we do a drawing and then we test it. It's the other way around. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. If if the listeners who are listening want to get involved, whether they're students or whether faculty or just somebody who wants to support your program, what's the best way for them to do that? Write to us at hello at buildingbeauty.org. Okay, hello at buildingbeauty.org. We will have that email and the website on the show notes. Um, before we wrap up, Susan and Chris and Maggie, I'd like to ask you the question that I ask everybody here. Um, it's a big wide open question that sort of, uh, allows you to answer it in any way that you want. But, um, the question is, what is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Susan, do you want to start with that? Sure. I would love to start with that. You know, I, I thought about this question and I, uh, I think... I'll bring one of Christopher Alexander's patterns into this. So this is more of a design answer. Okay. And uh, there's a pattern that he has. It's pattern number 104. It's called site repair. And I try and I think about this pattern a lot when I'm designing and making anything. And in that pattern, he says that buildings must always be built on the worst part of the site, not the best part of the site. And the reason for that is you want to preserve the most beautiful part of your site and then create your building around it so that you can improve that part of the site as much as you can. And that's really contrary to what a lot of architects have been trained to do. So my advice would be uh, when you're working uh, to always keep that in mind of making sure you're preserving the most beautiful part of something and then building around it to improve it. That's very, very good advice. Uh, Chris, how about you? Yeah, I, I think I want to, I want to just reinforce what Susan said uh, and, and talk about some of the things that, that uh, Chris and his colleagues taught us and we learn as, as we practice, which is this idea of, how, what's the next right move to make to improve what's going on around us? And rather than do this impulsively, it actually requires some reflection because all of us are, are especially now, are overwhelmed with all these things we have to do in our lives, uh, obligations to family, uh, our work, the taking care of our own health, et cetera. All of these things are really, you know, obviously uh, pressing on us right now. But sometimes we need to kind of be able to, to step back and reflect on what is really the right next thing to do. Um, so I think that's, that's really critical. The other thing I just want <clears throat> to reinforce is this idea that we need to look at the overall structure of the world as much as we can to really see how we fit into that. And I think these two, these, both of these, these acts are, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking very meta now rather than what can a small firm do? But I think yeah, no, that's perfect. We Keep often going. have to step back and, and and think about these things. What's the next right thing for us to do in terms of our own personal life? And then where do we fit into the world? And again, I'm I'm not saying you're going to come up with a necessarily a very clear answer, but I think this kind of reflection is really important. I agree. I very much agree. Maggie, how about you? 
I would suggest doing what, what Susan and Chris have said in the context of community. So that adds the element of uh, being in touch with people who support your work. They might be craftspeople, they might be other architects, they might be people associated with uh, cities or counties or, or clients having uh, uh, relationships with clients that really contribute to everybody's well-being. You're building something for a client, you want the client to be happy and comfortable there, and you also get to be happy and comfortable there. So uh, community is very much a part of what we do, and um, it, the support of a community can take you much further than you could get alone. Yeah, I, I I very much agree with that too, Maggie. The both both at a um, macro level and a micro level in terms of community. I think you know in the terms of our world, we need community more than ever right now. Um, and I think in in a micro level, even our own small communities, whether they are our immediate communities in our neighborhoods or whether they are communities that we are building online. Um, the communities are what are making us human right now, right? It's, it's, it's those connections, especially seeing that we can't even be physically active, you know, connected with one another. We have to be connected in other ways. Um, that, that much of that community, we're longing for that. And so looking for that is so important. Um, Susan Ingham, Christopher Robin Andrews, and Maggie Moore Alexander, this has been uh, a fascinating conversation, exciting for me. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about building beauty uh, and you want to either contribute or you'd like to go as a student or you'd like to inquire about being a faculty member, buildingbeauty.org is a website. Hello at buildingbeauty.org is the email. They are on social media. Just search Building Beauty. You'll find them. We'll have links to all of that on our social media. Um, before we wrap up here, I want to thank a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Duo Dickinson. He, is, he was the one who introduced us. He is a faculty member at Building Beauty, uh, and he's a good friend of mine. He's a good friend of, of Entree Architect as a community. He's an active member within our Entree Architect community. He's always sharing knowledge, always inspiring us. Uh, he's been on the show several times here at the podcast. So Duo, thank you uh, for introducing us, but thank you for all you do for the profession. I appreciate you and all you do. Uh, Susan, Chris, and Maggie, thank you for joining me here today at Entree Architect podcast and for sharing all the knowledge that you have with our community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Mark. It was great. You have been listening to episode 342 of the Entree Architect podcast. If you would like to access the show notes or share this episode with a friend, the link to share is entrearchitect.com slash episode 342. Please share that link with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 342. If you are listening to this episode in late September 2020, Building Beauty is enrolling right now, right now. Learn more at buildingbeauty.org. Go there right now, buildingbeauty.org. Check out what they're doing and how to enroll for the next semester. And these are the final days of registration for the Entree Architect 30-Day Build Your Brand Workshop, a completely, completely new branding workshop uh, here at Entree Architect. Registration will close on Monday, September 28th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Your success starts with the story you tell. The Build Your Brand Workshop starts on October 1st, and after 30 days, you will be fully prepared to implement a powerful branding system for your architecture firm. As you complete each component of the Build Your Brand framework, you will assemble your firm's new brand manual, a system document to reference when developing your new marketing materials, building a website, preparing proposals, and sharing your story with clients and consultants and employees. It's how your firm will share a consistent message. It will be how you attract your best clients it will be how you earn the fees you deserve. It may be how you survive the next year and a half. Registration will close on Monday, September 28th, 2020. So if you want to join us, go register right now. EntreeArchitects.com slash build your brand. EntreeArchitects.com slash build your brand. I hope to see you there. 
Entree Architect is proud to be part of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet. Gable Media, curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.